You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 963 of the Lot on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday morning. And today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. The Hawks get a 126 to 103 road win this evening in New Orleans. I will say, uh, candidly, this is not the greatest game ever played, and uh, lots of injuries, some pretty ugly basketball for like the first two and a half quarters, but then the Hawks turned it on, put the game away, and it was a very, very nice road win for Atlanta, and definitely a shorthanded Hawks team in this spot. And as a result, the Hawks finished this road trip, the absolute marathon two-plus week trip at 4-4, four and four, and that is a pretty big success when you factor in the uh, opponents and also the fact that the Hawks were you know, banged up with injuries and all that stuff. A pretty nice trip, and the Hawks are now above 500 again after this win. We'll dive in now to a game that was not going to be ticketed for the Hall of Fame when it comes to personnel availability in this spot. The Hawks uh, actually have not faced the Pelicans in a regular season since March 26th of 2019. The teams did not play last year at all because both games were scheduled post-pandemic. And as a result of that, Zion Williamson has never played against the Hawks in the NBA, which is pretty crazy. Um, we'll get into the injury reports now at the top of the podcast. And uh, if you did not watch this game or follow along on a Friday night, I understand because the injury reports were absolutely full of quality players. On the New Orleans side, we'll start there first. The Pelicans were missing in what my estimation is, and I think it's not even controversial, their five best players. And that's pretty crazy, but it's, it's true. Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram. Lonzo Ball, Steven Adams, and Josh Hart all out of this game. Um, the four There were four guys ruled out ahead of time, and that was Zion, Ingram, Lonzo, and Hart, and they ruled out Steven Adams right before tip-off. So, for, you know, the Pelicans are not great right now anyway, other than, you know, Zion's being dominant, but they're not super deep at the moment after some buyouts and trades and all that stuff. Um, and it's uh, they were not a good team tonight. Let, let's just say that. They were starting Najee Marshall who I've always kind of liked, but should not be starting in the NBA at this point in time. So, um, and as a reminder, sort of as a look back, the Pelicans played on Thursday against Orlando, lost at home shorthanded to a bad Orlando team. They played only eight guys in that game because they were so shorthanded. And two of those eight guys were Adams and Hart, both of which did not play. So that tells you how ugly it was on that side. But on, uh, at the same time, the Hawks were also wildly, wildly shorthanded. In this game, we already knew coming into last night, even that John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and Chris Dunn were going to miss Friday's game as well. So that's four guys, including you know two high-level starters, and then Cam's been out for a while. But still, on top of that, though, the Hawks were missing Trey Young to left knee soreness in this game, and Danilo Gallinari missed this game with left Achilles soreness. So essentially, you know, if if if, if you uh, just ignore Dunn, who has not played this season. The Hawks were missing five of their top nine players in this spot. And, of course, that includes Trey Young, their best player. And then you could certainly argue that Collins and Hunter might even be 2-3, if not with Capella, you know, three of their top four players this season. Uh, so that's pretty ugly in itself. And the Hawks only had 11 players active in this spot. And McMillan said before the game that Capella was banged up a little bit from last night, and they were keeping an eye on him. In fact, they kind of planned to play him against Steven Adams, and then Adams was unable to play. 
He looks fine at the end of the day. He actually kind of had a slow start, but I think the Pelopit pretty well in this game. And the McDonavich play, but there were some advantages for Atlanta. Just namely, the two best players in this game, um, coming into the night even, were on the Hawks side with Capella and Bogdanovich. You could even argue that Herter might have been the best player on the Pelicans tonight, given who was available for the Pelicans coming into the game. So um, you could you could argue the Hawks are the three best players in this game, and they were also the deeper roster. But um, they actually started Brandon Goodwin at point guard over Lou Williams, which is not like a decision to saying that he's better than Lou Williams. In fact, McMillan kind of said that it was just because of familiarity in this spot, and Lou ended up playing more minutes than Goodwin did uh, when it actually was like competitive and the Goodwin played actually some uh, some garbage time at the end of the game, but Lou played 30 minutes off the bench. He's the starter, um, at least when Trey Young is out of the game and the primary back backup point guard, but Brandon Goodwin played well in this game, I thought. And they actually ended up starting, interestingly enough, um, Bogdanovich and Herter together on the wing, and Tony Snell did not start this game despite being healthy and playing. My theory, and this is not something McMullen said, but I thought this is because when you're starting Goodwin at the point and Solomon Hill at the four and Capella at the five, you need some shot creation. And Tony Snell, for as great of a shooter as he is, is not a creator of anything. He's just kind of he's, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. So I think that's probably the reason why they went to like Donovan and Herter. At any rate, it worked in this game. Both those guys were awesome in this spot. At any rate, before we dive into the game itself, I, just, I, do, I do want to tell you that the Hawks ended up being favored on the road, which is crazy. If I had told you even yesterday or two days ago or a week ago that the Hawks were going to go on the road against a, not not a good team in the Pelicans, but not, not a terrible team. This is not playing the, the Wolves or the Pistons. The Pelicans are competitive. They're not great, but if I just tell you with no other context, the Hawks are going to be missing Trey Young, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Danilo Gallinari, <laughs> Cam Reddish, and Chris Dunn on the road on the second half of a back-to-back at the end of a long road trip. I am telling you there's no way they're favored. And they were favored in this game, according to our friends at Madeline.ag, by one and a half points. Like I said... That actually made sense when you think about it because the Pelicans were missing their top five players and they were also on a back-to-back, but a pretty crazy injury report. That's all I wanted to say at the top of the podcast and uh, how wild that actually is because the Hawks should have been favored and they were the better team in this game. Okay, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of what transpired on Friday night, a word from our sponsors and the first of which is Sport Trade. Have you heard yet about Sport Trade? It's where fantasy sports meets the stock market and honestly, it's amazing. Sport Trade takes fantasy to the next level. It's like Robin Hood for fantasy sports. And their platform allows you to buy and sell shares in your favorite players, just like real stocks. Finally, a fair and exciting way to cash in on your knowledge of sports. Making money with Sport Trade is simple as player values rise and fall based on two factors. One is their statistical performance in each game as compared to their projected fantasy points in that game. The more points they score, the higher their value goes. And number two, is good old supply and demand. The more demand a player has, the higher their value goes. And when you're ready to buy their shares, pick that penny stock and a rookie with huge upside or grab that blue chip vet who's always a solid performer. And you can instantly buy and sell as many shares and as many players as you like, just like the stock market. Then watch your players battle and your portfolio rise as a result. Simply go to sporttrade.com and watch the How It Works video, then sign up to get started. Sign up today at sporttrade.com and to discover the fun, exciting, and profitable new world of sports trading. This is truly the evolution of fantasy sports, and you'll be amazed. So do not stand on the sidelines any longer. Get in on the game at sporttrade.com. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at rockauto.com. One key reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money. You can use for other important things like paying the mortgage or paying for food or whatever else you want to use it for. And honestly, why would you want to pay more money? the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership when you instead can use rockauto.com. 
RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always low and they're always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why spend twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. When you get there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Okay, we'll dive in now to the game itself. And actually, the Hawks started slow. As funny as that is, when they won by 23 points and really dominated for much of the night, the Hawks trailed at the end of the first quarter, uh, largely because of the opening minutes. So the Hawks scored first. On a, three by, by, on a three by good one, actually. But then the Pelicans scored the next 10 points. It was a 10-3 overall run, including that 10-0, basically. And the Hawks did not play well early. Kevin Herr had a bad turnover. Capella looked pretty shaky. Uh, all 10 points for the Pelicans were in the paint. They were getting to the rim at, with ease against Capella, who looked a little bit sluggish early on. And it was not a great start. Um, considering where they were at that point in time, it was possible in my brain that the Hawks might just be flat enough and tired enough to lose this game going away. It was one of those nights, potentially. But from there, it was obviously all Hawks. Um, the offense came alive a little bit after that early floundering. They scored 14 points in about three minutes, including a 9-2 to run to tie it at 21-21. Um, it was Williams and Okongwu off the bench as the first subs for the Hawks. No surprise there. Actually, Congo got hacked pretty good by Hernan Gomez for a flagrant one, which is uh, interesting. But it was that was actually the right call, I thought. But he was okay from there. They brought in Snell moments after that. And uh, a pretty normal rotation. Uh, the Hawks did play 10 guys out of the 11 that were available. The only guy that did not play in the rotation, they all played because of the garbage time at the very, very end. But uh, Bruno Fernando did not play in the rotational part of this game, but everybody else got in, including Knight and Mays, who were the, clearly the 9 and 10 in this spot rotationally, but they did play. Um, and they actually, <laughs> I made a note of this on Twitter, but the fact that the Hawks played a first quarter lineup of Lou Williams, Skylar Mays, Tony Snell, Nathan Knight, and, 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 and Onyeka Kongwu told the story of how shorthanded they were in this game. Now, it wasn't like it was a bad decision because they had to play those guys, but uh, I would have lost a bet on that being a first quarter lineup at any point this season, and that happened in this game. But the Hawks did, as I said before, trail by six at the end of the first quarter. The Pelicans shot the ball really well in the first in the first quarter. They had 22 points in the paint, which is really, really, really bad in a quarter. Um, and the Hawks actually shot the ball fine in their own right. We had five turnovers and were not super crisp. But down six from there, they won the rest. They won the rest of the game by, by 29 points. It was an eight to two run early on in the second quarter by the Hawks to tie the game, and they held the Pelicans to only two points in the first three minutes. That pushed to a 15 to six run. After Bogdanovich, who was really, really good in this game, and Lou Williams got a couple of jump shots to force a timeout. The Hawks actually got down by three. Um, I, I will say this. Most of the second quarter was kind of just like back and forth treading water and kind of ugly basketball. Some unforced errors from the Hawks, but the Pelicans were not necessarily taking advantage of that. But like I said a second ago, the Hawks actually trailed by three in the final 90 seconds of the first half. But it was a good bucket from Okongwu off a pass from Lou Williams, and Okongwu got a steal. Herter got a bucket in transition. And then they got to stop again, and suddenly the Hawks are up by one at the halftime break. And that second unit of Williams, Akangwu, those guys were really got, they really kind of had it going in this game. In addition to everything else that was going well, that was definitely a bright spot um, headlined by Lou. But at the half, Herter had 12. Good to see him bounce back after a couple of slow games recently. 
But Donovan's had 10. Akong went 5 and 6 at the halftime break, and the Pelicans shot 8 of 24 from the floor and 1 of 8 from the three point line in the second quarter. Um, the third quarter was all Hawks in a dominant fashion. It was the best quarter of the night. They scored 39 points. That was the season high for any third quarter for Atlanta. And it started off with a couple of big runs, a 12-2 run out of the locker room by the Hawks. Take their largest lead at 11 at that point. A couple of threes by Goodwin and Bogdanovich. Capello was very active in that in that stretch. The Pelicans tried to stabilize things a little bit, but then from there, it was a 16-3 run from Atlanta to go up by 19. And it was kind of over at that point. It wasn't like absolutely over, but it definitely was in retrospect. Um, a couple of nice blocks from Capella and Okongwu at the rim and some hot shooting from Bogdanovich and Herter where they pushed all of that as well as Goodwin playing very well with some pace and energy stuff. The Pelicans did string some stops together to force uh, McMillan into a, into a timeout up by 14 late in the third, but that was kind of it. Um, a three by Snell stabilized things and then Okongwu had a steal and a runout dunk to go back up by 19. Atlanta led by 15 at the end of the third quarter. Like I said before, 39 points in the third 15-24 from the floor and 5-11 of 11 from 3 in the period. Actually, New Orleans shot the ball well in their own right, but they had 6 turnovers in the quarter. That kind of helped them. And the Hawks, it's pretty indicative of how balanced they were in this game. Uh, sorry, 8 guys had at least 7 points through 3 quarters. And the Hawks finished this game, by the way, with all kinds of double-digit scores. They had 7 guys in double figures, plus uh, Solomon Hill with 7. So, extremely balanced all the way across from Atlanta in an effective manner. Akongu got popped in the face in the fourth quarter and was bleeding, but actually was able to stay in. No, no big issues there. Herter hit a three to go up by 20 with about eight minutes to go after an awesome possession. A couple of great passes, including a whip pass from Bogdanovich across the court. And then the game was really over when Bogdanovich hit back-to-back threes to put the Hawks up by 22, and then they got another stop. Herter scored, and it was 115-91 to with 5.30 to go. That was kind of it. In fact... It was kind of curious to me that McMillan left Capella, especially in as long as he did. This game was like very over, and he left Capella and the starters in for like another two or three minutes when they didn't need to do that. And Capella played 29 minutes, which isn't like, which is not a lot, obviously, but, um, you know, not a big deal, but just something I definitely noticed. But it was cruise control. There was never really a run from the Pelicans from basically the 10 minute mark of the third quarter on. It was double digits the entire rest of the way, and a comfortable win. So, we'll dive into some takeaways from the game and what transpired, as well as some individual breakdowns in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action today. Even without football, for a little while longer, there's plenty to wager on, including the NBA, of course. College basketball is in full swing, both men's and women's right now, and the NHL is also happening. You have golf, you have soccer, you have tennis, auto racing, UFC, all that kind of stuff is available for you at betonline.ag, and BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds are present, and you have props on almost anything you can imagine right now at BetOnline, and BetOnline has you covered for all your news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website right now at betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. And if you do that, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code, and that is promo code Locked On. Yes, that is 50% free cash and a welcome bonus with promo code Locked On. One more time, promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also sponsored by Built Bar. Built Bar is fantastic. I always say that. It's still true, and it honestly tastes amazing. 
It's the best tasting protein bar ever, in my opinion, and at a bare minimum, the best tasting protein bar on the market. With that said, it's also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, and it has 100% chocolate on all of its bars. And throughout the month of March and even into the month of April, we've been talking about Built Bar Madness, a full bracket to anoint the best tasting bar of them all. And in the end, the winner is Coconut Brownie Chunk. Um, you know, I would say a deserving winner. Uh, one of my favorites, to be sure. There were all kinds of highly contested matchups along the way, but it's the Built Bar Champion at the end of the day, as they say. And uh, honestly, if you want to try it out or any of the other Built Bar flavors, you can now try them at BuiltBar.com or at Bar underscore Built on Twitter. And if you want 15% off, you can use the promo code LOCKED15. That's 15% off on BuiltBar.com if you use the promo code LOCKED15 and Honestly, there's plenty more beyond that. So go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKED15. If you do that, you get 15% off on your next order with Built Bar. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com. All right, and we'll finish up here with the broad takeaways and stats and as well as some individual discussions at the end of the podcast. The Hawks shot the ball incredibly well in this game. 49 of 87 from the floor, which is 56%. That is, of course, lights out. And 13 of 29 from three. Very, very nice. Uh, that's kind of all you need to know about the shooting performance. 65% true shooting is enough to win on the majority of nights, and that was definitely the case here. If there was one issue, it was turnovers. They had 15, which isn't like crazy high, but it's probably more than you would want. And that capped their efficiency a little bit, but they still end up scoring about 1.2 points per possession, which is elite. Now, the Pelicans are really bad defensively, even when they're at full strength. So the opponent has to be adjusted for a little bit here. But of course, on the, on the Hawk side, the same thing applies because you're playing with some lamps that were not exactly overflowing um, in this game. So I thought the Hawks played quite well offensively. The shot making that we'll get into in a second with the individuals like McDonough and Herter and Williams was really good. But as a team, the Hawks shot the ball incredibly well, and that really helped them. The fact that the Hawks were able to actually match them in points in the paint is pretty crazy after the way this game started. The Pelicans had 22 points in the paint in the first quarter, and with too many. 56 was the number the Pelicans had in this game. That is well above average, so that's kind of bad defensively. But that was kind of it for the Pelicans, and it slowed down a lot after the first quarter. In fact, in the first quarter, the Pelicans had 14 field goals, and they only had 24 the rest of the game. So that probably tells you a little bit about the way the Hawks sort of stiffened up, as well as the Pelicans not having a lot of shot creation, to be sure. Defensively, you know, they held the Pelicans to about 0.98 or so points per possession, which is terrible. Um, it's good defense, I should say. Terrible for the Pelicans. Um, part of that, Definitely his personnel. The Pels were 8 of 29 from 3. They just didn't have a lot of creation in this game. If you look at the roster, if I'm being generous, I would tell you that the that the Pelicans probably had three perimeter guys that were that are NBA players that played in this game. Um, and one of those is a rookie in Kyra Lewis, who was actually good in this game. But uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was struggling. Eric Bledsoe was not great. And those are kind of it. And then from there, you get into like, you know, Wes Awundu and Najee Marshall when Gabriel, they, they played nine guys here, and a I would say a, a pretty reasonable NBA fan, not a diehard, but a pretty reasonable NBA fan, would probably not have known at least three or four of these guys. Uh, I, I do, but it's uh, that tells you what the roster was like for the Pelicans, and it showed up on both ends of the floor, but especially on offense at times. So, good defense there from the Hawks. They played pretty well. I think Capella especially woke up after a slow start, and Okongwu was very good defensively um, by his standards in this game as well. So, some nice bright spots there. Um, all right, we'll dive into the individual players here. We'll start on the bench, as we often do. 
the three guys who didn't play a ton, Skylar Mays played seven minutes, did have two steals, had four points and two rebounds, and two of four from the floor. I thought he was fine. He didn't play a ton, but it was okay. Nathan Knight was not a huge factor. Had one point in six minutes, um, and it came at the free throw line, obviously. He had, he had a steal. He had a turnover. Um, it's notable to me, and I think this is probably the right decision. I think the Nathan Knight hype train got a little bit out of control for a little while there, but I think he probably is the guy who should not have been playing a ton in this game. I think it was appropriate to use him as the way they did, as sort of that you know ninth, 10th man, backup power forward type, but the Hawks didn't need him to play a ton, and he wasn't great when he played. Um, Fernando played two minutes, had two turnovers, it was not very good, and it's definitely indicative that Bruno didn't play in this game. Uh, you have six guys out, and Fernando doesn't play in the competitive portion, so that tells you where he is in the rotation. He's definitely, it seems like he is 17 of 17 on the roster right now, and uh, for a guy that has guaranteed money for next year, that's not great, but we'll come back to that when we need to. Um, elsewhere on the bench, though, a couple of guys that played quite well. Um, Tony Snell, 10 points, 4 rebounds. He was In 22 minutes, he had 4 or 5 from the floor, 1 of 1 from 3. Got to the free throw line for one attempt and made it, so he still hasn't missed in more than two years, which is crazy. But it was a very Tony Snell game. He played well. He was plus 11 off the bench. Uh, Lou Williams was very good, 19 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds, a steal, had a block shot, which is not exactly his normal uh, brand of defense, but was plus 19 in 30 minutes, 8 of 15 from the floor, 1 of 1 from 3, 2 of 3 from the free throw line, and he's really, really effective. This is not new, I talked about this with Lucas Hahn last week on the podcast um, with regard to Lou and his scouting report of sorts, but he, as a pick and roll operator, he's just in total control at all times, like... Lou has some weaknesses that might pop up in the playoffs. Defensively, he can be uh, guarded if, if you're at like a, sort of a high-level like switching scheme. But in traditional defense, pick and roll, he's just an awesome operator. That was the case in this game. He had it going for himself and for others. And that's a good point to jump off to Akongwu. And Akongwu was very good here. His second strike game that was awesome. In fact, he had a career high in both points and rebounds. 11 points, 9 rebounds, 2 steals, and a block. For a Kongwu in 19 minutes, 5 6 from the floor, plus three. I thought he played quite well. Um, but, and that's just, this is actually something that McMillan talked about on the uh, post game press conference. But Lou really unlocks a Kongwu. Um, and not just a Kongwu, but definitely unlocks a Kongwu in the fact that, you know, pick and roll wise, Rondo was not doing that. Um, nor was that, you know, what he was asked to do a ton of, but they're just very different players and the shot creation. Um, the just individual offensive creation is huge from Lou off the bench, something the Hawks just haven't had for quite some time in that role. And Akongwu and Williams seem to have some good chemistry. And I think it's just beneficial to have Akongwu play longer stints and just be able to play more minutes. That's obviously oversimplifying a little bit, but a guy, it's really hard to have a guy play you know six minutes a game and get any comfort level as a 19-year-old rookie. So I thought it was really, really encouraging to have him play Two good games in a row on back-to-back nights on the road with travel, kind of a grueling atmosphere. And again, this is not a tough matchup for the Hawks against the Pelicans, but it was great to see him play well defensively. A couple of really, really, really encouraging signs. His hands played up better in this game. You know, I said this before, but on on tape in college, his his hands were a strength. That was supposed to be a strength of his game, and it really hasn't shown up to this point in his NBA career. I think potentially some of that's just nerves and not being like locked in just yet, but I I still believe in his hands from what I've seen on tape, and that showed up a little bit in this game as well. It's a good finishing. So overall, I don't, I don't want to go crazy, but he played quite well, and the, the career high numbers speak to that. To the starters, and lots of positives here as well. Solomon Hill was quiet, seven points, four rebounds, two assists, but I thought he played just fine. He did the role that he needed to do in this game uh, in 30 minutes of play. was plus 19, just kind of held it down as the low-usage defensive 
uh, captain kind of guy, and we played fine. Um, Goodwin was good, I thought, in this game. 10 points, 5 assists, and a steal in 28 minutes. Good energy. Got got uh, 10 shots up, 2 of 6 from the floor. Uh, sorry, from 3, I should say. And I thought it was a good decision to ha- go ahead and start him. Obviously, Lou is better, but the matchups and the lineups kind of favor that better, especially when you can put Goodwin with Bogdanovich and Herter. Always one of those guys, if not both. I like that decision. It worked out well. And uh, that way you also leave Lou in his comfortable role coming off the bench and playing a lot of minutes. So I thought it was a very, very positive night from Goblin in his 28 minutes. And then the three standouts in the starting lineup in this game. We'll go to Capella first. 14 points, 10 rebounds, 6 block shots, 2 steals, plus 20 in 29 minutes. You know, I think in the first half, or at least the first quarter, he was not particularly good. He looked kind of sluggish. Um, but from there, he was dominant like he is often. I thought it was good to see him come on like that. Um, especially because he, I think, admittedly is not feeling 100% right now, health-wise. So to have him play that way, limit his minutes a little bit, not have to push him to 35 in this game, is a good sign. I thought he was uh, very, very good, and uh, I'll leave it there for now. And then the two wings were both awesome in this game. We'll go to um, Kevin Herter first. As I said on last night's podcast, Herter was 19 of 65 from the floor, in the eight previous games, which is obviously just brutal for a guy who needs to be able to make shots to um, reach his potential. But he bounced back from that in this game with his, with a season-high 24 points, 10 of 15 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3, uh, got to the line for three attempts, took eight twos. I'm sorry, took 10 twos. That is much better than he usually does creating. Like he got to his floater game. He got to the rim a few times. He was 8 of 10 on those twos, three assists. He was assertive. I think his first, like, Four minutes were not very good. He had, a, he had a pretty bad turnover out of the gate. Looked a little bit uns, uh, sort of unsettled. But as soon as he locked it in, it was quite good from Kevin. And they needed it in this game. So uh, a nice a nice effort from him across the board at a good time to sort of bounce back overall. And then McDonavich was awesome. Again, he's been really, really good on the entire road trip, which we'll talk about in a second. But in this game, 26 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. He was the best player on the floor. Just full stop. Even better, better than Capella, I thought he was just in total control. His shooting, is he's, he's playing with so much confidence right now, it's kind of scary. Um, 9 of 17 from the floor, 6 of 11 from 3, got to the line for 2 of 2. Just was awesome in this game, and I think he probably knew coming into the night he was going to he was gonna be the number one option, very clearly on offense, especially when Lou wasn't on the floor, and uh, he was, and he played he played great. Um, by the way, for the entire road trip, Bogdanovich shot 24 of 51 from three, that's 47% on pretty big volume in, in only eight games. That's impressive. He shot 52.4% from the floor in those eight games, so he's obviously coming on. Um, I, I was pretty vocal in saying that I was not worried about his struggles early in the season, and then he had the injury, uh, but now he seems to be you know, back in a way that I was never worried about him, and I said that numerous times, but I will say he's not quite this guy, I don't think. Like He's not going to shoot the ball as well as he has the last couple games all the time. But he's definitely capable of flashing it, as as we've just seen. He had he had his he had his uh, sorry not career high, season high last night, and then came close to it again tonight. So a couple of awesome games there, and he's uh, definitely coming into his own in a Hawks uniform. Um, so we'll leave it there for now on this game. The Hawks are now twenty five and twenty four on the season, and four and four on the road trip. Again, I said this earlier, but it can't be overstated. The fact the Hawks were able to get four wins on this trip, especially when you factor in they blew two games. They could have gone six and two pretty easily. Um, this not this this game was definitely an asterisk in some level with the competition, but you, you still have to go win the game, and they were shorthanded on their own right. So four and four on the road trip is a definite positive for me. They're now tied for fifth in the, uh, sorry, in the Eastern Conference with Miami, 
and they're only a half game behind Charlotte for fourth as of Friday night when I'm recording this. So the Hawks are in great shape, honestly, overall. And uh, we'll see what happens with, with Trey Young's injury. There was nothing else released other than he had the soreness in this game. Same with Gallinari. So you will obviously cross your fingers that those guys are able to play, particularly Trey, on Sunday. That's a big one. Uh, I think, obviously, Collins is going to be out. Hunter's the other one that you want to definitely circle. I have no idea what's going to happen there either. And the Hawks, by the way, are going to be off with no availability at all on Saturday. So we're going to be kind of uh, holding our breath until the injury report comes out on Saturday night on all those guys. Because after a back-to-back, they never have availability. So there you go. On that, um, sort of actually a good way to end this podcast because the Hawks now play back at home for the first time in two and a half weeks. The last time the Hawks had a home game was March 18th, and they play on Sunday, April 4th. It's Easter Sunday at home against the Warriors at 7.30. Uh, The Warriors had quite a night on Friday. They lost by 53 points to the Raptors. They trailed by as many as 61 tonight in an NBA game. Uh, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I watched a little bit of that before the Hawks. Uh, it was not pretty what I saw. Uh, there was no Steph for the Warriors, but who knows what's going to happen there. Steph did come back and uh, play, I believe, this week at one point, but he, of course, missed the Hawks game when they when they played in San Francisco. If he doesn't play, I know Draymond didn't play in this game either. Uh, if it's you know if it's the Warriors' real team with Steph and Draymond, they can beat the Hawks um, for sure. It might even be like a pretty close point spread depending on who's available for the Hawks. If it's this, if it's the team without Stephen Draymond, the Hawks need to win that game because then, then they become pretty sizable favorites. You know, I think if the Hawks played even their roster from tonight against the, which is very shorthanded, you know, missing five of their top eight guys, not, um, they, they still would have been favored over the Warriors without, without Steph and Draymond. So we will see what happens there, but that's the next game on the agenda. Uh, I can't imagine I'll be doing a podcast between now and then unless there's an emergency, and uh, those are fewer and far between right now with the trade deadline now in the rearview mirror. But I will be here after the po- after the game, I should say, on Sunday night into Monday to start the new week. I would recommend catching up on the archives to this podcast. I mentioned the Lucas Hahn podcast before about Lou Williams. That one's still available, as well as all the game recaps from this week. Very, very busy time in the basketball world, the Final Four on Saturday, etc. But follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. A positive night for the for the Hawks, a positive week, I think, for overall for Atlanta. And they're in good shape with uh, just, what, 23 games to go in the regular season. So uh, buckle up. We'll be here. R- rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. And we'll see you next time.